What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 57 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find all my work at 2QBs.com. You can find me on Twitter at GregSauce. And on the other line, he's back, the godfather, co-founder of 2QBs, Alex Smith, fanatic, Salvatore Stefanili. Sal, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Greg. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a while. Uh, I'm not sure if I can live up to uh, last week's guest, Scott Fish, but then again, how many people can? Pretty much nobody when it comes <laughs> to Scott. That guy is also a legend, but um, it's good to have you on, man. I, it's, it's been a little too long, and I know you're not playing fantasy football actively this year, but I know you're still following it, and it's it's one of those things where it's such an iconic season four Alex Smith that if I didn't have you on soon you know I, I I actually in the back of my mind now now that I'm really thinking about this I have this like terrible feeling that maybe we're gonna jinx him by bringing you on now are you at all worried about that um I mean it's Alex Smith he has my full trust <laughs> but it's nice to you know it's Thanksgiving in Canada so I can be thankful that you know as of right now According to fantasy data, Alex Smith is the highest scoring fantasy quarterback in the league. I know there's some other sites that have Deshaun Watson ahead of him, but I go by what fantasy data tells me. Tell me more about Canadian Thanksgiving, because I assume that it's just like American Thanksgiving food-wise, but is what's different, I guess, is, is the question I want to ask. I mean, I guess we just say, say thanks more often. There's not really much difference in food. No, you get turkey, you get mashed potatoes, you get some yams, some no pumpkin pie, maybe some apple pie, a uh, whole ton of stuffing, which is my favorite dish of Thanksgiving. Mine too. Do, do you know any Canadians who double dip and celebrate both Canadian Thanksgiving and American Thanksgiving? Uh, yeah, our family does. See, that's that's how you do it, man. I mean, take advantage of that opportunity. It's one of the best meals of the year. You get, like I said, you get the stuffing. That's all you really need. Like, honestly, if Thanksgiving was just stuffing, I'd probably be okay. Like, I I don't know why I don't cook stuffing more often. I guess there's something something special about it being on that holiday to me. I guess. I mean, you can just like get. 20 boxes of stuffing, cook it, and then just mold it into a turkey, and it would be good enough. <laughs> I'm going to have to try that. Um, well, hey, it's good to have you on. Let's dive in. we got a lot to get to. Uh, week five is up first. We'll try to recap this stuff a little quicker than normal. We, you and I were discussing this ahead of the podcast. Sometimes it feels like this stuff gets a little stale. Like By the time that someone actually listens to this podcast on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, like a lot of this is old hat, but... We are still, I think, the only podcast that I know of. Well, I, actually, that's not true. I think I've recently found out about other Superflex podcasts, but God damn it, we were the first two QB <laughs> podcasts, and we still got to own that. So biggest two quarterback developments for week five. Sam Bradford's back. He's playing right now as we record this. How excited do we need to be about this? Well, I was more excited before I looked at the box score for this game. Uh, currently, Bradford is one of five for negative five yards. Shake off the rust, Sam. Get home soon or get well soon. Um, but yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. We got to watch that. There's not a whole lot to say other than see how he does in this game, and you know, as long as he can stay healthy, get through it. You know, make some positive moves there, some progression towards looking like a real NFL quarterback again, I think we'll be a little more happy to start him moving forward than some of the other, you know, bargain basement streamers like Case Keenum that we were looking at. Let's talk about Deshaun Kaiser. Yes. And he has not been good. He was no. benched for Kevin Hogan yet again. 
it's weird. Like I talked about this with Scott last week. I think the Browns have incentive to tank. Do they actually want a more competent or a winning quarterback? And if Kevin Hogan, Hogan even is that guy, I'm not sure, but it seems like he is right now. What do you think is going to happen here? Do you think that Hugh Jackson's going to stay dedicated to Kaiser as the starter? Um, if he cares about winning, I'd say no. If he cares about developing Kaiser, I'd say yes. But then at the same time, has Kaiser shown enough to warrant the job and going through those growing pains? Because so far this season, it uh, seems like this game is just too big for him coming from college to the NFL. It's just been more bad than good. But like I know I was telling you on uh, Slack earlier, I commended Hugh Jackson the offseason for giving him the job and saying he's going to stick with him for the whole season, good or bad. But at a certain point, I think the bad play it just has to be overwhelming when it comes to considering your decisions. And so far, I believe Jackson came on the record saying he is undecided as to who's going to start a quarterback. So if you're looking at what he said in the offseason, that he's going to stick with Kaiser no matter what to the point where he's now undecided, I can't really say that's a good thing for Kaiser's um, no chances of starting this week. Yeah, and I think that if you are the Kaiser owner and maybe Kaiser's your QB3 or even, God forbid, your QB2, if we don't get more clarity on this, if Hugh Jackson doesn't come out and tell us who's going to start before waivers process in your league, you're going to have to have some sort of claim on Kevin Hogan or someone else to replace Kaiser, because I do think there is a good chance they don't start in this week. It's funny to me, though, like we talked about like what the Browns as an organization might be wanting to do. Whether or not that's what Hugh Jackson would do week to week is different, right? Like Hugh Jackson might want to switch to Kevin Hogan, but if the front office is telling him, no, you got to leave Kaiser in there, we want to be bad, that's, I mean, that's something he has to contend with. But at some point, the front office is going to start hearing it from fans, and, and the fans are going to say, like, you know, you can tank all you want, but at least, at least put a decent product on the field that we can have fun watching. And right now, that's Kevin Hogan. I think that eventually that switch is probably going to happen because it's not like these matchups for Kaiser have been really all that difficult either. Like, he's had some tough matchups, but like this one against the Jets, like you saw Kevin Hogan come in and do fine. This is not a spot where Kaiser should look as bad as he does, and that's what really worries me. Let's move on. Let's talk about another crappy quarterback. Let's talk about Jay Cutler. This is another guy who really stunk it up in a good matchup. Second week in a row for him. Is it time for Matt Moore? Yeah, this is another offense that it's just not fun to watch <laughs> week in and week out. Dolphins are averaging you know, eight. 0.75 points per game. Cutler has uh, three touchdowns and three INTs in four games, averaging under 200 yards per game, just 9.1 fantasy points. You know, Joe Flacco is the only full-time starter to score less points than Cutler on per-game average. And uh, we saw Matt Moore last season, those three games then, 2016, he had you know, 23 points, 15 points, 14 points, three straight games. Can he really be any worse than Jay Cutler at this point? Uh, I don't think so, but at the same time, I feel you know the Dolphins are two and two, only one game back or in that division. Everyone else is three and two. Adam Gase has uh, like pledged loyalty to the allegiance of the Jay Cutler flag, so I don't see him benching him at any point. But at a certain point, I think he has to consider Matt Moore. Yeah, I agree. It's the concerning thing to me for Cutler is that he's played worse progressively in each week this season, despite matchups getting better and better. And I, I like that I, that note you mentioned about how much more 
perform how well Moore performed last season. At least 14 points in all three of the starts. Cutler hasn't finished with more than 15 fantasy points or finished better than the QB 18 in a game since week 14 of 2015. So Cutler stinks. Cutler is bad. (laughs) We know this. And I, I mean, you got to give Matt Moore a shot next up Matt Stafford. And this is maybe minor news, but exited with an apparent right ankle or leg injury, depending upon which sources you're reading. It seems like he should be fine, but this is one of those times where as the two QBs site, we have to give that public service announcement where we report, you know, hey, do 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 do. Jake Rudock <laughs> is the backup QB for Detroit, and I don't know a ton about Rudock, uh, but you know, you go back, you read through his Roto World blurbs for you know this season. It seems like he impressed the Lions over the off season. Uh, Chicago tried to claim him off Detroit's practice squad, but the Lions blocked them from doing that. He beat out Dan Orlovsky and Brad Kaya. I'll admit that that's kind of faint praise, but you know he did you know establish himself as the number two guy there. Showed some chemistry with Kenny Galladay in the preseason. I I think Stafford's probably going to be fine, but you know if you are the Stafford owner, you gotta you gotta keep an eye on him. Uh, I don't know if it's time to speculatively add Jake Rudock or anything like that, but just know who the backup is, right? Yeah, I mean, the Lions are optimistic Stafford's going to play this week, so I feel like, you know, shouldn't have to worry too much about picking up Jake Rudock from waivers, but I did a quick research on him just before the podcast, and a couple things stood out to me. Uh, he said the single-game passing touchdowns record at Michigan was six. Uh, he became the first Michigan quarterback to throw for 250-plus yards in three straight games and then five straight games. And then one thing for fantasy purposes, as we like the you know, the Russian floor that some uh, mobile quarterbacks can add, he scored a combined 12 rushing touchdowns in his three-year college career out of 38 games. And Detroit does play the New Orleans Saints this week. So if there's any week that you know Stafford were to go down and you're desperate no one on your waivers and Rudock was the only quarterback there – I mean, I wouldn't be totally afraid of throwing him in then there's my QB too. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think there would be worse options out there who <laughs> are already starters, and that's kind of terrifying, but that's just the state of quarterback right now. Uh, let's get into some non-quarterback stuff that happened, and we'll tie it back into uh, you know the 2QB mindset. But first up is Odell Beckham Jr. His season is likely over. I don't know if he'll be ready to come back by sometime in the playoffs or whatever. I mean, you never know with these things when it's this soon after the injury, but I'm assuming that Beckham's going to miss all the regular season, probably the playoffs with that broken leg or broken ankle, whatever it is. Sterling Shepard and Brandon Marshall also got injured on Sunday. How much should we downgrade Eli Manning? Because we saw what Manning looked like in weeks one and two and Beckham wasn't a hundred percent and it was not good. Yeah, no, I, I mean, they lost Beckham for the year. Marshall's out a few weeks. Sterling Shepard is day-to-day, but even if he comes back, he's going to be injured. And you look at that wide receiver depth chart, and it's uh, you know, an injured Shepard. They just added Tavares King. You no, know, Roger Lewis was there. They promoted the undrafted freedom Travis Rudolph, who I don't know much about, but I know some people on Twitter have kind of raved about him, but still at the same time. He was undrafted for a reason. Um, you know, the Giants, they just don't have an offense with Odell Beckham. You mentioned how different uh, Eli Manning played with and without Beckham. And you look at the stats in the first two games, he scored 6.7 and 11.56 fantasy points uh, those first two weeks. And when Beckham was more involved and seemed to be healthy back to his old self, Eli put up 22.6 and 27.27 points in weeks three to four. I just think without... Odell Beckham, the Giants don't have an offensive identity. They still have Ben McAdoo, 
Coin plays and without Odell Beckham, I'm kind of scared to see what kind of plays he is going to call. So I would just be out on Eli Manning at this point. I mean, if you can find someone to buy on him based on those weeks uh, three and four production, I would be all for it. But other than that, I I would not want Eli Manning on my roster at all. Yeah, this is one of those weird situations in a two QB league where you can't really drop Eli though, right? Because he still yeah, is the starter, and starting quarterbacks always have some amount of value. Yeah, and no one's going to want to trade for him, like you said. I, I don't know what you do. If you're the Eli owner, you kind of just have to hope they figure it out somehow. Like, maybe they start to run more of the offense through the running backs, like Shane Vereen out of the backfield. Maybe Evan Ingram, despite you know being a rookie tight end slash wide receiver, maybe he can really step up and have a crazy season. He's the guy I'm most interested in in this offense moving forward, just because his target volume might be insane. But you're right. Like, Beckham did so much to just open up the doors for everyone else in this offense that, you know, if those doors start to shut, you're going to be, you know, trapped in some sort of scary movie house with <laughs> the Eli Manning face ghost, just kind of staring at you. And you'd be like, Oh God, what's happening? Just, uh, no, stay in and binge stranger things season two when it comes out. Yeah. I mean, when in doubt, if, if Eli Manning is your quarterback, just log off fantasy <laughs> and just start, start watching cool shows on TV, I guess. Just quit um, fantasy football. Yeah, no, there you go. <laughs> Simple. Your your league mates, your buddies won't be mad at all. And root for Geno Smith. Yeah, I, that is actually an interesting subplot here. Is we know that Eli Manning's getting older, starting to break down, and if this becomes a lost season, like at this point, they could just as easily tank and go for the number one pick, right? To try yeah. and get that QB to replace Eli Manning, or just you know get a high draft pick to upgrade that offensive line that's been such a big problem. Like they have holes, they need to plug them, and there's no real reason to run Eli Manning out there and just watch him get annihilated with all these bad players around him. Like Geno Smith is sneakily one of the more intriguing speculative ads I think you can make. And I, I've been tooting this horn all season, so maybe I'm just pot committed, and that's why I keep bringing it up. But, man, it would be kind of cool to see Gino get some action. What do you think? Yeah, I'm all for Gino Smith getting action anytime. <laughs> Plus, you have to look at the Giants. They're 0-5. I feel that their season is pretty much lost at this point. Right, especially with like Dallas looking good, the Eagles looking good, and Washington looking okay. Like the, this is a really tough division. They're so far behind already. Yeah, if Eli Manning gets shut down in the next two or three weeks, I would not be totally surprised. Like I doubt it. I, I just don't think that he's yeah. wired like that. Like he's not going to want to take a back seat and not play. But you know, who knows? Maybe he gets hurt. Like it's it's hard to say. Uh, let's keep going. Oh, I'm sorry. You got something else? No, I'm just going to say like if Geno Smith was like a younger like first year, second year player, I think the Giants would be more, in, you know, invested in giving him a shot. But I feel if their season is lost, they would might even just skip over him and just go straight to was it Davis Webb? Yeah, actually, that's not a that's a good point. You you bring up a good point. Like if if this was something like the Bears where they had Mike Lennon in there and Mike Lennon wasn't cutting the mustard, okay, bring in the rookie. Like they they probably know what they have in Geno Smith. There's enough tape on him from when he was with the Jets. Uh, they they've had him around and in. in in-house for long enough yeah you might be right it might uh, davis webb man now we're going really deep <laughs> well that's what this podcast is for yes sir all right well let's talk about uh, another injury charles clay missing some time uh, aggravating or, or getting a new injury to to the knees that have plagued him for so so long it's it's it sucks because like 
Clay is a player who I was heavily invested in, and also just the one kind of beacon of hope in that receiver core for the Buffalo Bills and Tyrod Taylor. Like, this is just piling on the, the season from hell that Tyrod's facing. He lost Jordan Matthews, now he's lost Charles Clay. What do you think about Tyrod moving forward? Are, are you at all optimistic? Do we think the rushing upside will still kind of carry him to be a serviceable starter? I mean, it's such a tricky question because, as you know, and everyone who listens to this podcast or checks out our site is like, I've been all in on Tyrod Taylor. It was the moment he became a Buffalo Bill because I just because of his you no know, rushing capabilities. But now he's in an offense as you mentioned, no Jordan Matthews. Now he's going to be without Charles Clay, you know, Zay Jones, Brandon Tate, Andre Holmes are his top three receivers. It's already pretty much been a Lashawn McCoy dominated offense. Now McCoy leads a leads a team in catches and targets. But now with Charles Claygon, who is leading the team in yards and touchdowns, you would uh, think that the team would just rely more on the running game. And looking at uh, the one thing we've always loved about Tyrod is his rushing stats. And through the first five weeks of the season, he has 32 attempts for 121 yards, which equals you know 2.42 rushing fantasy points per game. Through the first five weeks of last season, he was averaging 4.56 fantasy points for the through the first five games and in 2015 he was averaging 6.1 fantasy points through the first five games so if you add it all up he's averaging 2.93 fewer fantasy points per game uh, via the ground this year compared to his first two seasons and he's only averaging 13.7 points per game overall which is QB 20 and he's coming off back-to-back seasons where he's a top eight QB in that uh, statistic so I'm not too high on Tyrod Taylor. I believe they have the buy next week, and I imagine a lot of Tyrod Taylor owners out there aren't too high on him at the moment and would like to sell. So I kind of look at it as potentially a good opportunity to buy low based on his schedule coming up, and especially if you're a very, very forward-thinking fantasy owner and you're looking at the fantasy playoffs where he faces Indy, Miami, and New England from weeks uh, 14, 15, and 16. And right now the Pats and the Colts are allowing the most and second most fantasy points per game. So I feel like it's a good opportunity to buy low on Taylor. Yeah, I like that call, if only because we don't we do know he has that rushing floor. That is a big part of it. But but to me, that's that's the way I'm viewing him right now is is purely a floor play. Like I don't think he has that top 10 points per game upside anymore like you were talking about he feels like a, a solid just qb2 and probably like a qb15 to qb20 type of qb2 like I, I don't trust him to have that that big explosive upside anymore now he might get there every once in a while because you know quarterbacks do it all the time like we've seen trevor Semyon do it we've seen uh, a bunch of other you know not not so great quarterbacks put up you know qb1 weeks or qb2 weeks but I, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about him going forward. I like that idea to buy him, though, if only because we do know he's the entrenched starter. We know he has the floor. His value will never be lower. And it's a situation where, I, I don't know, like I could see the Bills bouncing back from this. Like one of the silver linings for me was after Clay went out, the backup tight end, Nick O'Leary, came in, put up 54 yards on five catches. Like they have other people to throw out there. They, I mean, they're not guys you've heard of, but – these are, you know, still NFL players, and if you believe that Tyrod is a good player, like, and we're not saying that Tyrod is some mm-hmm. elite, uh, you know, quarterback in grand NFL terms. We're just talking about fantasy here. Like, as a fantasy quarterback, he is good enough to make his players relevant. We we saw that through the first few weeks, right? Like, he 
was carrying an offense that lost Sammy Watkins and like Charles Clay stepped up to do that. But I mean, now Nick O'Leary is going to have to step up and, and it'll be inter- interesting to, to me to see how that plays out because he is like, like you mentioned a player that we both like a lot as, as two quarterback owners. And so we're, we're hoping for the best from Tyrod. I'm not super optimistic. I think he, like I said, I think he's a QB too, but yeah, I like the buy low call. That's, that's bold. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the QB one upside is, there right now hopefully you know with basically nobody to throw to anymore that he gets some more opportunities to run himself but he still has the jets the saints and two games against the patriots coming up on a schedule yep and those are all those that that always helps like having the good schedule is, is a big deal um one other quick note here and i'm, I'm sure this is one of those things that everybody's going to have seen in a roto world blurb at some point but Bilal powell strained calf uh, on sunday elijah mcguire's the next man up I kind of wrote off Matt Forte uh, in my Gameful Botics A to Z article last week. I do think that this injury to Powell does potentially open up uh, the door for Matt Forte to get back into some sort of fantasy relevance. But again, he's not a player I want. I think McGuire's the guy to own if you know you are willing to roster a Jets a player, specifically a running back. Um, I do think this puts a little bit more strain on Josh McCown, though. But it does create more potential volume for his receivers. You know, Austin Safarian Jenkins, Jermaine Curse. Uh, do you have anything on Powell? This wasn't something we had on the show notes, Sal. I apologize. Oh, no. it's. I mean, Elijah McGuire showed that there's room for him in that offense. And like you mentioned, I've pretty much been out on Matt Forte this year. I just think he's pretty much done as a running back. Was all in on Bilal Powell taking over. Kind of sucks to see him injured. But, uh, no, the Jets... That's another offense that's kind of in a weird spot because you just you felt like they were gonna you know you mentioned the word tanking earlier they were in a position to just like lose a lot of games this year all of a sudden they find themselves at three and two with some you no know, decent young pieces in that offense based on you no know, Robbie Anderson uh, Jermaine Curse was doing well for a bit you no know, Austin Safarian Jenkins Renaissance uh, rejuvenation story is there. So I just feel like there's just more incentive to give McGuire carries to see what he can do when you already know what Forte has done in the past. Yep, totally agree. Uh, Let's get into our awards for Week 5. We'll start with the boom of the week at quarterback. Who is the QB for you who outperformed expectations the most in that week? Uh, It was easily Deshaun Watson for me. I don't think anybody expected him to throw five touchdowns against the Chiefs defense, let alone five touchdowns and only 16 completions. Yep. He's the current uh, QB1 for the week, the only quarterback to score over 30 points. Uh, actually, he's at 35.5. Even added 31 yards rushing on the ground. No, since taking over the start in Week 2, he's averaged 26.78 fantasy points and has finished as a QB7, QB15, and uh, QB1. And at worst, will be QB3, but based on this game right now, it look, looks pretty safe. He'll finish the week as QB1. Again, it's also worth noting that his week three QB 15 finished still saw him score over 20 points. It's because that was a, a very high scoring week for quarterback. So it's Deshaun Watson all the way for me. Yep. I, I agree that it's got to be Watson. I do think this is a bit of an outlier QB one finish. Like you said, only 16 completions, only 52% of his passes were complete. Uh, 261 yards, five touchdowns. That's just not sustainable. I think that now is actually a pretty good time to sell Watson if you own him. Uh, not every Will Fuller reception will turn into a touchdown, and the Houston schedule gets a lot tougher moving forward. I think six of his ten remaining games, his fantasy relevant games at least, uh, you know, not including Week 17 when he gets the Colts, um, six of those ten games are against good defenses: uh, Seattle, the Rams, uh, Arizona, Baltimore, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh. 
Um, Jacksonville and Pittsburgh in particular are two of the, the toughest matchups that we've seen so far. And I'm just worried about Watson going forward. Um, I think he'll yeah. still be fine, though. Like, you still want to start him, that rushing upside. He's basically the new Tyrod Taylor, right? <laughs> pretty much. I mean, it's a good call. I'm pretty sure you can get a ton for him in a trade, especially because you probably draft him as your QB3, maybe even QB4 this offseason. There's more hype on Kaiser because he was a starter going into week one, and Watson was the backup to Tom Savage. But, I mean, maybe hold off for one more week because they got the Browns coming up in week six. And the Browns have allowed the QB3, QB4 finish. And um, currently, Josh McCown is the QB14 this week. So I, I have a feeling Watson will probably ball out again another week in Cleveland, which would just add to his value. But no, if you get a good offer now, I wouldn't be opposed to saying yes to it. Yes, sometimes that's actually what I want to sell. is I Because most people these days, the fantasy world has gotten really smart in general. And they're going to look at that next matchup. Like if he, if he was playing Seattle next week or the Jaguars next week and you tried to shop him around and say, Hey, who do you want Sean Watson? They'd be like, yeah, I like what he's done so far, but uh, look at that next matchup. He's, he's got a terrible one. Then he's on buy after that. So uh, I don't want to trade for him now. Let's talk after the buy. Whereas right now you can actually use that Cleveland matchup as a little bit of leverage. Now, do you want to trade him to someone you're playing against? Of course not. You you don't want to you know trade him across a matchup like that. Um, but maybe you try to trade him to a team that you want to win, that you want to take out somebody ahead of you in the standings. And I don't think that's collusion. I just think that that's a little bit of game theory, right? Like you're trying to help your team's overall shot of winning. Like you improve your roster by get, trading Watson for you know some other pieces, and then. You're also making one of your opponents better, but it's it's the right opponent, the, the opponent you want to make better. Like maybe that's something you try to do. But yeah, no, <laughs> I was just gonna say that makes a lot of sense. So I, I think that there's some value to shopping him before a good matchup, uh, especially because there is the buy after that. And if you can cover yourself at quarterback, um, if you have the pieces to make up for losing a player like that, who is you know a quality starter, like we said, potential Tyrod uh, ability moving forward. I, I think that if you can afford to give that up. Uh, if you don't need that quarterback in your arsenal, then I think that's something you can consider. So um, I let's well, do we have some time for a little trade theory? Because I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of trade questions about Deshaun Watson this week from two QBers. Yeah, what do you got? So so if we if we look at it now, Watson was a QB 22 and two QB ADP. So if you're in a 10 team league, he was you no know, your QB three. If you're in a 12 team league, he might be your QB two, or you might have him paired up with someone as a streaming QB two. So, and hopefully the quarterbacks you have ahead of him on your depth chart can get you through another week at least. So, like, what would be a realistic return on Deshaun Watson? Now, you mentioned he's Cleveland this week, then a bye, and then Seattle after week. So now is a pretty good time to trade him because, you no, know, everyone would want to start him in that, you no know, great matchup against Cleveland. So if we're looking at, you no know, non-quarterbacks to get back in a trade, like, how high can someone shoot for? That's a great question. I mean... Trade talk is so hard in the in the abstract like this, uh, but I think that you could probably target like a solid running back two or wide receiver two at the very least, if not more, because right. you might be able to find somebody who's just that hungry for a QB, you know, somebody who needs a quarterback uh, either to cover bye weeks or to cover for injuries or to cover for, you know, maybe just leaning on Jay Cutler too much. You know, it's like, oh, I thought Jay Cutler was going to be my QB three and that was going to be fine. And now maybe they're second second guessing that. 
The other tricky part about trading QBs in a two QB league is oftentimes, especially if you're in like a 12 team format and you only have three quarterbacks, you don't necessarily want to trade one without getting one back. So then you're talking about giving up Watson for an upgrade at running back or wide receiver, but also like maybe a, a, a quarterback thrown in as well. Like maybe you trade Watson for Jay Cutler plus Michael Crabtree or something like that. Does that sound reasonable to you? Yeah, it sounds reasonable. I mean, like whenever we talk about trades, or at least I do, I always look at it in terms of you no know, a QB one. I'd want to get like a, a like an RB one or a wide receiver one. But there's a lot of people who are probably at this point questioning if Watson can keep this up all year and might not really consider him a true QB one. So then that kind of dings his value because you no, know, not everyone might want to pay up for that premium. You no, know, you're trading Aaron Rodgers, you can easily say, oh. Yeah, I can get like an AJ Green or a Kareem Hunt back, but when you put in Deshaun Watson's name back, uh, I highly doubt you can get that great of a return. So it's kind of you have to like look at your roster composition and know if you need another quarterback back in return. So like here's a one trade that I was thinking that might make sense would be like say a Deshaun Watt, uh, Devin Funchess, and then like another QB two in return for Deshaun Watson. So like a uh, Matthew Stafford type or like a. Uh... I guess Stafford might be too high of a price, but what, what sort of quarterback are you thinking of there? I mean, Stafford, yeah. Maybe like like a Philip Rivers, that kind of Philip Rivers, or maybe a Jameis Winston, Kirk Cousins type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I, it's Yeah. I think you would have to use a, you'd have to target a quarterback who the other person is likely to be down on a little bit. Like, I don't know if you're going to get somebody to give up Cousins for Watson because Cousins has a longer track record. And, and you never know. It, does, it never hurts to ask. Right. Maybe a guy like Carson Palmer is a good guy to go after, right? Because he is a little older. You can kind of sell people on the youth of Watson versus the, you know, the question marks around Palmer surrounding his age and his durability. And you can also pick up another piece. Like you said, uh, Funchess is a good one. Like if you're thinking about someone at the running back position, maybe a player like Aaron Jones, who still has a little bit of unknown to him as like what happens when Ty Montgomery is healthy. Is Aaron Jones still going to be the starting running back? If you're the type of person like say Greg Smith, who believes (laughs) that Aaron Jones is going to be the starting green Bay running back moving forward. uh, You can, you know, bank on that. You can, you can attack that, that belief, right? You can say, okay, I'm going to get Aaron Jones plus Carson Palmer for Deshaun Watson. And maybe that makes my team better. Maybe it doesn't like, maybe it's better to not have to cut somebody and just keep Watson over Palmer. But th- those are the types of decisions or the, the types of angles you have to try to shoot from when you're looking at these two QB trades. And another reason that makes two QB leagues uh, much better than one quarterback leagues, because you actually can think about trading quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. It, I, my one beef with it is the fact that usually if you're trading a quarterback, you have to get a quarterback back in return, or you have to be the guy who was hoarding quarterbacks in the first place. <laughs> and I, I am that guy sometimes, but I don't like to play that way, which usually means that if I'm trading a QB, it's like, it becomes these weird like two for two trades. And I don't really like doing that. I don't like doing same position for same position, but yeah, the fact that these questions come up at all in a two QB league is just so much better than in a one quarterback league where it's like, should I trade for a quarterback? Nope. I'll just go to the waiver wire again. Like that's just, every week is like that. All right. Um, looking at, you know, I, I do like to give an honorable mention to other potential booms of the week. We, we went a little, 
a little long there on Watson as the the actual boom, but Jacoby Brissett definitely deserves one in this week. Um, you know, pending what happens in Monday Night Football, Brissett has the fourth best yards per attempt this week, uh, 9.2 yards per attempt, uh, behind only Cam Newton, uh, Carson Wentz, and Kevin Hogan on a tiny sample size, like Kevin Hogan only threw 19 passes. Brissett looked really solid for most of that game. Almost botched the Colts win with a just a horrible end zone reception or end zone interception in overtime. Um, but even with those points that he left on the table, he still finished as a top 12 QB. He's QB 10 right now before, you know, Bradford and Trubisky finish up. I think overall, Brissett's 2017 performance has been pretty promising. I, I'm going to talk more about him in our week six preview, but it feels like he's going to be a must start against Tennessee's terrible defense this week. The schedule does get tougher for the Colts after that, though. Jacksonville, Cincinnati, Houston, and Pittsburgh come up before their bye. Uh, and Andrew Luck should at some point come back. So it's hard to know what to do with Brissett long-term. I think everybody needs to be aware of all these factors if you are the Brissett owner. So I'm not sure if like you can try to leverage him in a trade like we like we were just talking about with Watson. Like I think people are going to look at Luck potentially coming back, look at the schedule and say, thanks but no thanks. But it does seem like a fine time right now to shop him kind of along the same lines that we were talking about with Watson against Cleveland, you know, Brissett's going up against Tennessee. Use that matchup as, as a potential selling point of Brissett. Try to get something for him before his, his schedule gets rough before luck comes back. What do you think about that? No, I'm totally with you there. Only the Colts and Patriots are giving up more points per game to quarterbacks than Tennessee. You know, they get them this week in week six. And then after that, just like Jacksonville, Cincy, Houston, Pittsburgh by, then the Tennessee Titans again in week 12, but then right after that, the Jaguars again. And we still don't know when Andrew Luck is going to come back. So if you, know, you get a, an opportunity to sell Kobe Brissett right now, I would listen to whatever the other owners are offering. Yep. Uh, the only other quarterback I want to mention in the potential you know, boom candidate section here is Brian Hoyer. He actually scored more points than Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> and I, I liked Brissett more entering the game. So I guess that means that Brian Hoare exceeded my expectations more, but just like nothing I saw when I was watching that game made me think that I should have been higher on Hoyer. Like even in hindsight, Hoyer scored more fantasy points, but he made so many more mistakes in that game. And I, I it just makes me wonder when the Niners are finally going to yank Hoyer and give CJ Pathard a chance to play. Yeah. Cause no, can, can Pathard just do what Hoyer is doing in this offense? I would think so. And I, this is another one where I wonder kind of like Kaiser and Cleveland. Are they leaving Hoyer in there because they know that he is bad? I I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. It, like the Browns have been kind of the model of that Philadelphia 76ers, you know, hinky model of tanking or, or whatever to get higher draft picks. Like, I just don't know what the appeal is of Hoyer long term. So eventually I think that's going to come to an end. Maybe maybe not right away, but soon. Well, they can always just re-sign Kaepernick and start him. You know, that would make me so happy. Like that dude deserves a job. He, he should be signed by somebody, but I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't want to play football anymore either. Like I wouldn't blame him for that at this point. So, um, but that's, that's a whole can of worms. Let's not open <laughs> that one up. Sal. bust of the week. Who you got? Uh, it's Ben Roethlisberger. Can it really be? I mean, it could technically be anybody else, but like, I know it was a tough matchup against Jaguars defense who as of right now are allowing the fewest points per game to the quarterbacks at 5.5. Uh, but he, you know, he threw five interceptions, two pick sixes. I feel like at this point in his career, he's just only going off of brand name value because his name is Ben Roethlisberger and he has a track record of success in the NFL. 
And he was most likely started in 100% of two quarterback at Superflex leagues, which makes me pick him as the bust of this week. And no, his five INTs was a career high. He threw four in a game twice, once in 2006, once in 2008. But um, no, like I said, he's my bust of the week. I think that's fair. I But for me, it's not Roethlisberger. And like you said, it has to do with the matchup. I, I feel like we could have seen this coming to some extent. The Jaguars were the best team in the league at, you know, limiting quarterbacks to fantasy points. Uh, I think that you a lot of people looked at, like, the point spread in that game and said, oh, you know, the Pittsburgh are eight-point favorites. They're at home. Roethlisberger's great at home. This will be fine. I, I just think that's a farce. Like, I think people could have seen through that if, if they wanted to. I wrote about it in Game Fullbotics A to Z last week. Uh, you know, the Steelers are a public team. That line was definitely inflated. And we knew the Jaguars' defense was legit. And that, that always gave me pause. For me, it's Brady. And, you know, Brady was, I guess, fine if you want to if you want to think about it that way. But based on the expectations of his matchup against Tampa Bay like that, that was the biggest bust to me. Tampa Bay, you know, before that game had allowed point totals of 27 and 28 plus in weeks four and three. Week two wasn't so great, but that's a defense you can attack through the air. And I'm just surprised that Brady wasn't able to put up more than he did in in that game on Thursday. Now, maybe it's just the Thursday night thing. I don't know. Yeah, plus the, the two quarterbacks that you – you didn't mention their names, but it was Casey Keenan and Eli Manning. Right, there you go. So, like, that that for me makes – I guess my expectations for Brady were just so much higher than they were for Roethlisberger that he's the, the bust for me. But, I mean, Roethlisberger was terrible. He definitely was a worse quarterback than Brady this week, so he's a fine bust as well. Definitely a lot of bad performances this week. Yeah, Cutler was another one, uh, but he's like in that Eli Manning phase now where I'm just never going to be all that surprised when Cutler craps the bed. I just think that's what he does. We talked about Kaiser earlier. I think that he's probably, in terms of expectation, he's probably the guy who disappointed me the most after Brady. Like, if you're like me, if you're a bargain shopper at the quarterback position, um, because let's be honest, not everybody can own Tom Brady. Like a lot of people probably were looking to start Sean Kaiser against the Jets. The Jets have been a fine matchup for quarterbacks. And we saw that, you know, a quarterback could succeed against them. We saw Kevin Hogan do it after Sean Kaiser got benched. It's just like classic rookie struggles for Kaiser. I, I, yeah, that was that was another bad one for me. I know he wasn't on your list, but I mean, the performance that was probably the most disappointing to me was Russell Wilson against uh, the Rams. I know the Rams have a good defense, but if you looked at the last two performances, Brian Horner scored 27 fancy points, Dak Prescott scored 23 fancy points. But yeah, then I know Seattle has probably the worst offensive line in like the history of the NFL, and that played a part in it. But seeing Russell Wilson score just 12 fancy points this week was pretty disappointing. No, that's a good one. I, I should have had that on the list as a potential one. But I, I think that Roethlisberger and Brady are both better calls. Yeah. I, I actually have some some notes later for that Rams defense that we can dive into uh, for week six. But anything else from week five that you thought was worth noting? Uh, no, not really. I think we kind of covered it all. The one other thing for me, and this is something that you know wasn't exclusive to week five, but we can confirm at this point that Carson Palmer is just going to be a pass attempts machine going forward. Oh. Um, I saw a tweet from Anthony Staggs on Twitter earlier, at Pyrostag. Uh, Palmer's 227 attempts, I'm quoting him here, uh, in the first five weeks put him in a dead heat for Stafford's single-season attempts record in 2012. Palmer's on pace for 726.4. The record is 727. So he's like dead on pace to to hit that record for attempts. And 
if that's going to keep happening, Palmer's going to be great because volume can carry you in fantasy. I do think that having that many extra attempts might increase his chance for injuries. So, you know, again, we're we're a two QBs podcast. Drew Stanton and Blaine Gabbard alert. You know, remember that these guys exist. But, um, well, how do you feel about Palmer moving forward? Uh, I mean, if he keeps throwing that much in that offense with those weapons, I'm definitely okay with him as my QB, too. I'm still concerned about a, his age a bit. But you mentioned you know, those attempts. I was just doing the math quickly. He's averaging 45 attempts per game this year. <laughs> Last year, he set his career high at 597 when he averaged it out as 39.8. So he's basically averaging five more attempts per game than his career high. <laughs> as we mentioned, fantasy football volume is king. Yeah, that's crazy. Now, to kind of bring this full circle, there's one 12-team Superflex League I'm in where I own both Palmer and Watson, and my QB1 is uh, Russell Wilson. We talked about trades. If if that's your crop there, if those are your three guys, who are you look, Who are you actively looking to get rid of or, or trade? Or is it just stand pat and, and ride it out? No, I mean, you basically have three QB1s there. I, <laughs> depending on what your weakness is, I would just trade whoever gets me the, the most in return because they're all solid quarterbacks who I would feel comfortable with starting every week. Like, I would have no issue with any combination of those two of those three guys as my starters. So I would just take whoever I can get back. And it would probably be Russell Wilson just based on his, you know, the, the brand name values, so to speak. Yeah, I like that. I mean, at, at some point, you're right. Like, if I'm willing to start any of those guys in any given week in any given matchup, then it probably does make sense to trade one of them, take, you know, a downgraded quarterback to improve somewhere else. So I'm going to have to start shopping those guys around in that league. But let's get into our week six preview, diving right in. Streamer of the week. We got a lot of good options in week six. Is there one that stands out to you, Sal? Yeah, who's ever playing the New England Patriots? Like, that's the first thing I'm looking at the schedule, saying who's playing the Patriots. And if it's a streamer option, then I'm picking him. And in this case, it's Josh McCowan. You know, the Pats currently, we've mentioned a few times, already are allowing the most fantasy points per game to the quarterback position at a rate of 25 fantasy points per game. That's an insane mark. And just show how crazy it is. The Colts in second are 20.8 points. So the Pats are almost allowing... Five more fantasy points per game than the team allowing the second most fantasy points per game. I know Josh McCown's not the greatest uh, you know, option in the world. You look at him, you're like, okay, it's Josh McCown. I don't really want to start him. I mean, he's been okay this year. Nothing world beater. Uh, he scored 13 or more points in three of his five games for at a quarterback two slot. I, it's it, around, around 15 points is what I'm happy with out of my QB2. So I feel like the the floor is there for McCown just in this matchup to exceed that 15-point range. Uh, and, uh, you know, so far this is the finishes and the performances that the, Pat, the Pats have allowed. Week one, they allowed the QB1, Alex Smith, over 31 points. Uh, week two is Drew Brees, uh, QB4, over 22 points. Week three, it was Deshaun Watson, QB15, over 20 points. Last week was Cam Newton over 33 points. He was a QB2. Uh, Jameis Winston currently is the QB9 with uh, 18 and a half fantasy points. Only uh, the Colts and the Titans have allowed at least three top 12 finishes at the quarterback position this year. And the Pats are currently allowing uh, <clears throat> the most passing yards per game and have allowed the most passing touchdowns per game. So even though you might not think Josh McCown is a good quarterback, that doesn't always matter in fantasy football, so he's my streamer of the week. Yeah, he's he almost was mine, and he, he definitely gets honorable mention status from me. 
Uh, I love that point you brought up about the finishes against the Patriots so far. Like even that Deshaun Watson one where he finished QB 15, it wasn't a true QB 15 finish because that was just a crazy <laughs> scoring week for passers. He because he had over 20 points, which is usually yeah. good enough for like top 12 at least. Um, he was um, two points off of QB 12. Yeah, and there you go. So essentially, the Patriots have allowed a top 12 quarterback finish every week. And you can steer into that. You can say, like, okay, Josh McCown, you're not very good, but neither is the New England defense. The one thing that gives me pause is that the Pats did play last on Thursday Night Football, so they've had a little bit of extra time to prepare for this game. And it sounds like the Jets will be without Bilal Powell. And I worry that, you know, I actually think Powell's really good. I think that that could hurt them uh, long term. Just I don't know if Elijah McGuire is going to be able to you know, kind of carry the same sort of load that Powell did, especially in the receiving game. A couple other options before I get to mine that I want to note. If, if you're thinking in the abstract, you might look at Jay Cutler and Matt Moore at Atlanta as potential streaming. Um, but I'm much more interested if Moore's the quarterback than I am in Cutler. We've already talked about how we think Cutler is a little washed up. And Atlanta's coming up a bye, so that's not good. I think Bradford against Green Bay is interesting. But, again, we kind of want to see how he does tonight on the whole. Brian Hoyer at Washington, interesting. But only Carson Wentz and Alex Smith have really done all that well against Washington. It seems like the Redskins' defense has improved to some extent. They contained both Derek Carr and Jared Goff in those two matchups. I don't think that Hoyer is better than any of the quarterbacks I've mentioned that have faced Washington. And Washington, like Atlanta, is coming off their bye. So I'm not super excited about streaming Hoyer. I talked about him earlier, just not having... The, the type of game, even against Indianapolis, where I was, you know, excited to, about Hoyer moving forward. Trevor Simeon against the Giants. The Giants have given up the ninth most fantasy points to quarterbacks pending Monday Night Football. Uh, tenth most points per game to QBs. The concern, as always, with Simeon is just that the Broncos might lean on the running game and really just not give him that many opportunities to pile up stats. The last guy I'll mention, and I, I just don't... Let, here, I mean, let me ask you a question, Sal. Do you think sure. Carson Palmer qualifies as a streaming candidate, or is he I, not too good? Too good isn't the right phrasing, but like too w – was there too much invested in him for him to be considered not you know, a most weak starter for you? I mean, at this point in the season, I'd consider him borderline must start every week, I think. It depends kind of like on how your roster was, because if we go back at QB ADP – he was QB 19, so that's kind of in the range of low-end QB 2, depending on your league size. So I think it can go either way. He's either your every week set it and forget it QB 2, or he's someone you consider streaming if you have a if you paired him up with someone else. Yeah, so I agree. I don't really think he's necessarily a streamer, but uh, going up against Tampa Bay, like that matchup that I thought Tom Brady disappointed in, you know, if Palmer can take that elite volume that he has into that matchup, I think that could be. Really good. I'd probably stream him over McCown and over the guy who I am going to talk about as my streamer of the week, uh, and that's Jacoby Brissett. I uh, mentioned this earlier. Entering Week 5, Tennessee ranked 29th in passing defense DVOA at footballoutsiders.com. Um, only Bortles and Cutler have failed to finish his top 20 QBs against the Titans, and the two rushing quarterbacks that Tennessee has faced, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, finish their weeks against Tennessee respectively as QB2 and QB1. So these guys with rushing upside have torn apart the Titans. I really like Jacoby Brissett to kind of keep things rolling in that game. Anything else you got on any of these guys I mentioned, Brissett or the other potential streamer sell? I know that's a, a good good one in Brissett. Uh, it's a good segue into my desperation play of the week. Who's that? 
that is uh, Mr. Matt Castle going up against Jacoby Brissett's Colts. Uh, the one thing to note, though, is this is a Monday night game, I believe, so we won't know Marcus Mariota's status until probably late in the week. Um, you know, it, there was some talk that he was going to play this week, but then eventually, you know, Mike Malarkey <laughs> admitted that was just smoke. Like, he wasn't close to being ready to play this week. But, you no, know, another week of rest and that Mariota might be able to suit up. But then again, it's Matt Castle. He's probably on the waivers in most super, super flex two quarterback leagues because, oh, hey, Case Keenum just completed a pass. Hey. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing or why that happened, but the <laughs> ESPN live game tracker just showed Case Keenum a one-on-one four yards. So hopefully it was just uh, Sam Bradford needed a breather, <laughs> not because he got injured again. That was one of my big concerns with – going with either of those quarterbacks in this game, like even if you had both of them, and I did on a couple of rosters where it was like, you know, I own Bradford and I own Keenum. Should I just wait to start whichever one is healthy or, or starting the game? And my number one concern with Bradford in that case was that if he did get re-injured or if, you know, he just sucked, like it seems yeah. like perhaps he was doing that they might go right back to Keenum and, and they just, they sapped each other's value, but um, sorry, I cut you off there. Interrupt. Oh. I apologize. No worries. Uh, it's kind of a, a segue into a game that we weren't even talking about. So, <laughs> but back to Matt Castle. Yeah, no one likes Matt Castle in fantasy football circles. I'm not even sure anybody really likes him in real life. So there's a high probability he's going to be on the waivers. And in a game that's on Monday night, you might be able to you know pick pick him up this week and just leave him on your bench in the event that Marcus Mariota is benched. But no, the Colts right now we've mentioned before. Allowing the second most fantasy points per game, 20.8, just behind the Patriots. They've allowed the following fantasy finishes. Uh, QB 14 to Jared Goff. Uh, QB 12 to Carson Palmer. QB 12 to Shoney Kaiser. QB 5 to Russell Wilson. And uh, pending the results of this week, QB 7 to Brian Hoyer. If Hoyer's finish remains intact. Uh, the Colts are allowing an average of the QB 10 on the season. And just to show kind of how bad this Colts defense is, uh, Deshaun, Deshaunie Kaiser scored, uh, 26.56 fantasy points, uh, combined in the four games he didn't play against Colts, and he scored 22.08 points against the Colts in week three. So I think if Matt Castle is starting this week, I'd have no problem putting him in there as my QB2 just based on how bad this, uh, no, Colts defense is against quarterbacks. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it, it, there are just certain defenses that you can attack every week. You mentioned New England before. Indy is one of them. Uh, you know, Cleveland. There, there are a few others. Uh, and look at those points against. See, you know, how, how these teams are giving up points to the quarterback position. Uh, a lot of the times you want to be careful not to use a quarterback who has like a, a running game that's too good. Like one of the guys I considered as my desperation play of the week was EJ Manuel against the Chargers. But it just makes too much sense to run against the Chargers. So I think that the Raiders will probably try to hide Manuel again this week. And you never know, like Phillip Rivers might come out and, you know, torch that uh, Oakland secondary. And at that point, you know, EJ Manuel will have to throw to some extent. He did look okay at times uh, this past week, but he's not a guy who I would necessarily actively look to get in my lineup because there is the possibility that Oakland will just run the ball like crazy. My desperation play is going to fly right in the face of that because this is a team that definitely wants to run the ball no matter what, but it's Blake Bortles uh, going up against the Rams. Uh, for what it's worth, the Rams have played a lot worse on defense when they've been on the road. Uh, so against Brian Hoyer and Dak Prescott, they, they really struggled. Uh, both of those were road games. When they've played at home, they've been pretty good on defense. And 
maybe there's some timing correlation there with Aaron Donald, but this is one of those things where if I'm a Bortles owner and I just need a warm body, I'm okay with running him out there. I think he's startable, not exciting, but again, we're talking about desperation plays here. I think that he's a guy that you can consider running out there even though he sucks. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I think it's a perfect way to describe him. Just one, I uh, just had one last note on Matt Castle. The uh, the uh, Colts defense, they hit the fewest points they've allowed in a game is 16.44. So I feel, you know, we've mentioned, I've mentioned before, I'm always fine with 15 points for my fantasy quarterback. So based just on the matchup, the stats they've allowed this year, 16 points kind of a floor in this game for Matt Castle. See, I think that's the floor for the matchup. I don't know if that's the floor for Matt Castle. <laughs> Just I mean, saying. They, they gave up 22 points to Brian Hoyer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see it. I mean, it's a desperation play. It's Matt Castle. It's I, I agree. definition of desperation. Yeah. And I guess to bring it back to what I was talking about earlier, Tennessee with Castle also has the potential to just be like, eh, we're just going to run it like crazy against Indy and hope that that works. So all of these guys have, have similar red flags. But, yeah, the matchup for Castle is definitely better than the matchup for Manuel or for Bortles. Um, who's your clipboard holder of the week? Who's the guy who you would probably normally start that you're you're not going to throw out there this week? Uh, before I mention, I'm going to give a quick shout-out to my former podcast co-host, Jim Sonis, for coming up with a clipboard holder of the week segment. So, hey, Jim, if you're listening, hello. Uh, my clipboard holder of the week is Jared Goff at the Jaguars, so kind of a, the ying to your Blake Bortles yang for the desperation play. <laughs> Again, it always comes back to the matchup for me. The Jaguars are allowing the fewest fantasy points per game to quarterbacks at a rate of 5.5. So if you play in a league that awards six points per passing touchdown, they're not even allowing that, which is kind of, kind of blows my mind. But we've seen the play of those quarterbacks, so it kind of makes sense. They're allowing the fewest passing yards per game, 166.8. Second fewest passing touchdowns at three. Have the most INTs thanks to the the five that they just uh, got from uh, Ben Roethlisberger this week, and only Marcus Mariota scored double digit fantasy points against them this season. He uh, scored 13. Uh, the, these are the finishes allowed by the Jags so far this year: QB 27, QB 19, QB 32, QB 31, and pending tonight's results, QB 26, which averages out to QB 27 on the season. Uh, I know Jerry Goff kind of started off hot. We're wondering if it's going to keep up. Uh, but he's just coming off his worst game of the season against a good defense. And we can consider the, the Seahawks where he scored 7.72 fantasy points, which was kind of reminding me of 2016 Jared Goff. And I think it's safe to say that Jaguars are a good passing defense, not a good rushing defense. So I'm putting it all up in the matchup here and benching Jared Goff. If that was something I had to consider this week. Yeah. I'm really interested to see how much smarter <laughs> this Rams game plan is than Pittsburgh's against Jacksonville. Right. Because you could look at that matchup and say like, okay, I can just go to football outsiders and see that the Jaguars ranked last in rushing defense DVOA first in passing defense DVOA. And, Oh, we have Le'Veon Bell. Maybe we should run him a ton in this game, but they just didn't do it. It was mind boggling. And I don't think we're going to see LA make the same mistake. I have a feeling I'm going to see a lot of Todd Gurley in that game and whether it works out or not, who knows? It'll be, it could just be like a, a running slugfest on both sides, like Fournette versus Gurley, which, you know, usually only works out in one running back's favor, but 
Uh, that's a good call. I don't think you can start Goff this week, not against the Jags. I think the other kind of no-brainer call is to bench Eli Manning at Denver, uh, especially with all the the injuries we talked about earlier. I think that that doesn't even qualify as like a, a take because it's just so obvious. Um, so I'm going to dig a little deeper for my clipboard holder, and that's Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, he's going to Arrowhead at Kansas City. I just don't know how you can trust him at this point. I can't do it. He's posted 12 or fewer fantasy points for three three weeks in a row, going on the road to a notoriously tough place to play at Arrowhead just feels like another one of those maybe too easy cop-outs in terms of who you would bench. But you actually look at the matchup for Kansas City, and they've been semi-favorable for quarterbacks. They've allowed three top 10 finishes, uh, resulting in the six most points per game allowed to quarterbacks. So I, I think that like any other QB, you might have a little bit of optimism in this matchup, but throw in the Roethlisberger home road splits, uh, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know how you trust him this week. I don't think I would be looking to start him. And if I had, you know, Watson and Carson Palmer and Ben Roethlisberger, like Roethlisberger's the guy I'm benching this week. It's one of those things where, yes, maybe this is the hexbreaker week where Roethlisberger puts it together because the pass defense isn't quite as good. And I don't know, like maybe Kansas City just is a better matchup than a team like Jacksonville. But I can't do it. I can't pull the trigger. I think Roethlisberger's got to sit. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. I wouldn't want to start him either this week. What else are you uh, looking for in week six, Sal? Well, right now I'm just uh, – I think Casey Keenum has taken over for Sam Bradford officially. Uh, just looking at some tweets here. Apparently Bradford's a bit struggling. He's still hobbled. Keenum is now 3-for-3 three three of 21 yards. This game is at halftime. So there's another quarterback situation to modern to week six, which I hadn't – put in my notes because I was hoping Bradford would come back healthy and you know back to Sam Bradford of week one, but there's another situation. It's like, okay, now what do we do with Minnesota quarterbacks? <laughs> like, you know, Bradford has officially come back, but it looks like he's not back to health. Uh, Case Keenum is back in a quarterback. What do we do with uh, no Sam Bradford? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know if that makes Bradford cuttable yet because we knew that he was questionable coming into this week. It's it sucks that they brought him back and still had to take him out. Now I hope it was only for you know play reasons or like performance reasons, not for health reasons. Um, if if we find out that's the case, if that's what they talk about in like the post game pressers and whatnot, then I think you probably have to hold on to Bradford and just keep hoping. But I don't know. Case Keenum's looked semi legitimate as a starter there. I think that they have good weapons. I think that Keenum's a guy who you're not going to be totally bummed to start in the right matchups. So he's probably already owned in your two quarterback leagues, just based upon the fact that he has been starting. But I don't know if he takes over long-term for Bradford. Is he a guy we're going to be talking about as like a, a sneaky streaming guy every week? Maybe. I mean, we, we've seen Keenan put up points in the, in good matchups. He had almost 30 points this week, not this week, this year. Uh, I can't remember what, remember what team he played against there in week three. I remember that high scoring performance he put up against the Lions last season. Like he's a guy that people like to hate on a lot, but he's also a guy that because of the way he plays, he's a fearless gunslinger. He really doesn't care. He'll just go out and throw up the ball and, Sometimes you prefer to have an aggressive quarterback like that who you know is going to make a few mistakes, but who also has a bit of a upside with potential deep bombs. Yeah, so that that's definitely something we got to keep our eye on. I'm amazed that for the third week in a row, at least on paper, we have another matchup on Thursday night that looks pretty good. Got Carolina and the Eagles. I'm excited about that game. I think that 
Wentz is a guy who I so far have been very wrong on. He's looked awesome. Uh, credit to, to Joe Pano, uh, of, of the two QBs alumni or alums. I, I always screw up the <laughs> alum, alumnus, alumni thing, but he's written some stuff for two QBs, that guy. And, and Joe was all about, uh, Carson Wentz this year and he's dealing, man. He looks good. Yeah, if I if I recall correctly, the only other podcast I've done this year was our send off to Josh Lake when we you know you asked us for our bold predictions and I said Wentz would be a top twelve fantasy quarterback and he's keeping it up so far. Yeah, man, you're on track for that one. What else are you looking for? Uh, let's see, just if Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota are going to be back, what how Eli is going to look without basically any receivers. Uh, uh, Andrew Luck again with the injury status. He's already been ruled out for this week, but how much longer is he out for? Uh, can Alex Smith keep up this QB one performance that he's no dazzling in the fantasy world in? And like the great greatest thing about this season so far has been how many um, island games the Chiefs has had, because <laughs> my mentions just turn out turn into like uh, basically an Alex Smith party. It's just it's just like a volcano of Alex Smith magma. Pretty much everyone just everyone just tweets at me how about Alex Smith every week. Yeah, and that's his toughest matchup yet, I think, uh going up against Pittsburgh. I think that the Steelers are the second best team against fantasy quarterbacks so far this season behind only the Jaguars or the third best by DVOA entering week five against the pass. Definitely the toughest matchup he's faced. I think it's gonna be really interesting to see if he can stay hot. Couple other things I'm looking at coming off a of bye is Matt Ryan going to write the ship a little bit because he's been a little shaky. We're seeing that regression we were all expecting, and this week he you know has two weeks to prepare uh, up against Miami's mediocre defense. I'm looking for him to to have a big game there if he's you know going to get back into that you know every week QB one conversation. And the other game I'm really interested in is Detroit at New Orleans. Both these teams have had you know better defenses than advertised this season. And I think that they would both like to think that they're contenders, but I don't, I don't know. Like they, they both seem like they have enough holes to where I don't believe in either one. And I want to see how they play against each other. Um, and I, and I want to see, you know, what sort of passing stats Stafford can put up against that defense that, that New Orleans has. Right. Um, one thing I'm, I can't look forward in week six because the Cowboys are on a bye, but it's just uh Dak Prescott, who in my notes I have his dad Prescott because I don't uh, spell check or grammar for these things. But it's, so far, he's the only quarterback to finish as a QB1 in each week of the season. He's currently the QB2. So basically he's been a top 12 quarterback every week this season, the only quarterback to do so. So I'm just watching to see if that's just you know, if he's going to be able to keep up that production. Yeah, he's another guy I, I whiffed on. I was a little low on him in the preseason, and I thought that he would have a few more growing pains. But it turns out that... He did all the growing he needed to do in that rookie campaign. He's he's legit. Um, he's honestly like he's carried that team, not Ezekiel Elliott this season. It's been fun to watch. I hope that he keeps it up. He's a, he's an awesome player to to watch play football. He, he just you know again like the the rushing upside, but not like reliant on rushing. Like we're not talking about Terrell Pryor as a quarterback. <laughs> like Dak is still making awesome throws too. Like he makes some bad throws from time to time, and I think that those might start to come back to bite him at some point, but. Yeah, super fun to watch. I hope that he keeps it up. I think it just reminds me last year, he's efficient with his rushing touches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, selective and smart about it. Like, he definitely picks the spots. It kind of reminds me of, like, and this is, like, I should not be giving him this this level of praise, but it reminds me of, like, late career Steve Young. Where, That's exactly who I had in my mind as well. Yeah, where, like, he doesn't run quite as much as he did when he was younger. Like, I'm talking about Steve Young. Dak is still yeah. very young, of course, but... 
like, yeah, just the way that he now is very just smart about when he does take off. It's like he always gets a first down or he always gets into the end zone. It's just, it's, it's fun. It's like, it's, it's really impressive because you see a lot of QBs lean a little bit too heavily on their rushing ability, or you see the opposite. You see these, these pocket passers or these, you know, less aggressive runners who could just run for a first down and, and don't, then throw up some jump ball or something like that. And that's, God, there's nothing more frustrating to me than stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing else for week six. Fine. Well, then we'll just have to stop podcasting, Sal. <laughs> Just ended here. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell people where they can find you and tell them where you're not writing fantasy football content this year. Right. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at uh, 2QBFFB where I'm uh, still leading the Alex Smith party and that'll never change, never end. Um, you can not find my work on 2qbs.com but um, you will notice some stuff on the website that I do like update the QB tracker which I will do after tonight's game and we are now at uh, officially 38 starting quarterbacks through the first five weeks of the season uh, do you know where that is pace wise compared to last season I feel like last season we actually had more starters by now but maybe I'm wrong uh, I can look it up if you give me 25 seconds because I keep track of that every year I'm going to allow this <laughs> so let's see last week through week five, um, we had four, seven, nine, uh, 32 plus nine, we had 41. Okay, so we're a little behind pace this year. Three back. That's crazy. It, it feels like there's been so much quarterback turnover this year, and, and there was more last year? Uh, through this point, yeah. Man. I mean, last uh, last week we had new starters in week two, week three, and week five. This year it's only been week two and week five. So you know what that means? Regression. We're due, man. We're, <laughs> we're going to start seeing even more turnover at the QB position. I am terrified. Was there anybody potentially this week coming up in week six that might be a starter? Kevin Hogan. I can't think. Kev, there, yeah, that's true. Matt Moore. Matt Moore, potential. CJ Bethard. Fingers crossed. Come on, Niners. <laughs> Ryan Mallett. Oh, God. Joe Flacco. We didn't talk about him at all in this episode, but he is one of the just the weirdest fantasy football commodities like I don't own him anywhere, thank goodness, but I can't imagine what I would do if he was one of my QBs. Like I, I think I I think I would quit fantasy football. I just I just cash it in for the year. Well just a, I can see scenarios this year based on ADP where someone drafted Joe Flacco and Jay Cutler to be their QB two streaming duo. Man, I feel bad for those people whoever <laughs> they are. But yeah, um, uh, before I go and sign off, I just wanted to thank everybody who you know purchased our 2017 2QB Superflex draft guide. Um, no thanks to the lovely, generous purchases of everybody out there. Um, we were able to make a sizable donation to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, which is something I've been trying to do this off season, and we donated almost $1,400, which I'm really proud of. Yep, and that does include some contributions from contributors to the guide, so that's not just all sales related. There were uh, a few writers who chipped in uh, their own contributions, and man, th that's awesome to see. Like the taking fantasy football and turning it into something that we can give back and, and try to, you know, make the world a better place, like is is cool. Like we we have such an awesome community with so many awesome people in it, and to see it expressed in that way is it makes me really happy. Yeah, so um, 
thank, thank you all very much for your support. Um, we'll do it again next year. Hopefully we can raise even more for, you know, the NCADV or perhaps someone else, but, um, the, the support is much appreciated and it goes a long way. It, it shows, you know, the good that we can do as fantasy footballers. And it's not just, it's not just a game all the time. It doesn't have to be at least. And that's, that's pretty awesome. If you want to check out the site, 2QBs.com, T-W-O-Q-B-S, uh, Twitter handle is very similar, at 2QBs, and the email address is also very similar, 2QBs at gmail.com. Spell it out every time, T-W-O-Q-B-S. If you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing the podcast, that would be great. If you listen to this podcast and you would like to sponsor an episode, reach out to us. Hit us up uh, either on Twitter or by email, and, and we'll see what we can do. Um, any Anything else before we go, Sal? Uh, Case Keenum is now six for six, 39 yards. What a master. Case Keenum represents. Just caught his first pass of the game. Well, Diggs is on the board. That's good. Uh, we got to get off the air and it's time to do that. So we'll catch you next time on the 2QB experience until week seven. Adios. <laughs>